Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, ESPN's Seth Walder joins me to break down one positive thing for each eliminated postseason team to take away from the 2022 season. Something positive about the Texans, the Bears, every team that is wallowing. Is wallowing the right word? I think it's wallowing in mediocrity as we hit the end of the NFL season. But first, I wanted to tell you about another ESPN podcast, and that is in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions. They present Kyle Brandt's Basement, led by NFL Network's Good Morning Football host, Kyle Brandt. This Sunday through Thursday show explores the ins and outs of the NFL through lively guest interviews, including Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, every Tuesday. That's Kyle Brandt's Basement. Listen wherever you are listening to this podcast. Now, here's Seth Waller. All right, joining me now, here as promised, on the Bill Barnwell Show, someone we've been meaning to have on for several weeks now. We've gone back and forth. Thankfully, we are lucky to have him here today. One of the best people in the business when it comes to breaking down the NFL. It's my colleague, the sports analytics writer, I believe is what it sounds like for ESPN, an expert on many things. But certainly analytics is one of them. It's Seth Walder. Seth, how are you? I'm great, Bill. That is too kind. And just for the record for everyone, it was all my fault, to be clear, that while I wasn't on over these weeks, making it difficult for Bill. No. <clears throat> you should have been on earlier, frankly. Now we are lucky to have you here, Seth. You do such a great job looking at the league as a whole, seeing what's happening, what the trends are, using the numbers we have here at ESPN to understand the game better. Today, we're going to focus maybe in a different direction than I think a lot of people might think as the playoffs approach. We'll have plenty of time to discuss those teams. But today, we are going to focus on the teams who don't have any hopes of playing deep into the postseason. The teams for whom Sunday and I guess Saturday for a couple teams will be the end of the NFL season. The teams who are out of the postseason race. And we're just going to try and find one positive to take away for each of those teams as they enter the offseason. Seth, I believe you took the AFC teams. I took the NFC team. So please go first. Uh, let me know. Pick an AFC team that is out of the postseason race and let me know what is one thing that we can be optimistic about for them or they can be optimistic about for themselves heading into 2023. Okay. I had brief internal panic that I thought all of a sudden for a second, I'd been assigned to the <laughs> NFC and we'd both done the AFC, but we're good. I'm going to start with the team that I think this is the easiest to answer for. And that is the New York Jets, because I think the answer is basically outside of quarterback, almost everything. I mean, there's so much that's gone right for that team mm -hmm. uh, this year outside of quarterback. You've got Sauce Gardner's been unbelievable. Top mm -hmm. three corner. I think you had him on your all pro list. Like I agree with that completely. His numbers are insane. Mm -hmm. Opposite him has been an incredible free agent acquisition. DJ Reed. They've got Quinn and Williams being really productive. My guy, Bryce Huff, when he's allowed to play, <laughs> is always getting after the quarterback. CJ Mosley's had a nice year. Garrett Wilson uh, if you look at our receiver tracking metrics, is like a top 15 receiver in the mm -hmm. NFL already. Mm -hmm. Brees Hall, before he got injured, was playing well. 
there's so much here that I think that the Jets are, and this is a dangerous game, but like they are in range of a roster that is good enough to be a legitimate, real contender with a, let's just say, Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. And I say it's a dangerous game because like those windows with rosters like that, Mm -hmm. they do not last long. Mm -hmm. They are, they are brief. It's probably there for them next year. Uh, but you can't bank on that being like a, a long-term solution. But I do think that is where they are. There's a lot right there. Well, the Jags come to mind, right? You know, a team from mm-hmm. a few years ago that were built around a young defense. They they added a couple pieces in free agency. It looked like they were, you know, they, they made a deep run into the postseason. They came within really a, a blown call, maybe, of beating the Patriots and going to the Super Bowl. I think a lot of people were excited about, hey, you know, they have a really promising future if they can – at least get a competent quarterback play, and then it, it fell apart very quickly. To your point, I, I wonder. You know, um, we've all seen the Robert Sala quotes. You used to cover the Jets. Um, you know the Robert Sala quote about we're sticking with Zach Wilson come hell or high water. You, you're you're the expert here when it comes to parsing what coaches actually mean versus what they say. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. I wouldn't say I'm the expert. I just think like I'm going to rely on common sense, which says (laughs) that the Jets quarterback in 2023 is not on their roster right now. Mm -hmm. And I have more faith in the people in that building that enough faith enough that they recognize they must recognize that, too. So Mm -hmm. I think I think that they'll go elsewhere. I think I think your Jags example is perfect because, yeah, it fell apart. But I also think that's exactly the reason why they can be like a true, like that Jags team could have won the Super Bowl. And and so if you put a, a competent quarterback on this roster, you, you really can go far if it all breaks right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who that guy is, we will wait and see. Um, I, I will go with a team that I think also has a solid defense, although nowhere near where the Jets have been this year. I'll go with the Commanders. And this is going to be a backhanded one relatively to some of the other ones. Um, I will say they got the Carson Wentz out of their system in one year. (laughs) They are not going to fool themselves into thinking that they can fix Carson Wentz again. Sunk costs are a valuable thing to realize and recognize. And I, I think there's enough promise on their roster where, again, I don't think they're as good as the Jets, you know, outside of the quarterback position. I think there's questions about their secondary, which has been improved this year, but still not perfect by any means. Chase Young has not been, um, you know, really present until the past couple weeks of the season. Um, The offense, I think there's plenty of playmakers to be excited about, but it does feel like if they can solve the quarterback situation with one of the other guys you mentioned, if it's Carr going to the Jets, maybe Garoppolo or vice versa. does kind of feel like they could be a competitive team. So, the Carson Wentz move I, d- didn't look great in the moment, doesn't look great now, but at least they're through with Carson Wentz in Washington. That's some dangerous foreshadowing of my Colts <laughs> positive. You want to go, go, go ahead with your Colts one. Okay. Well, this, well, I'll just say, I mean, it's a good, I'll just say that the Colts were the one that was the hardest for me. Yeah. I couldn't really find, I'm not sure there's anything that was like, there were, there's some spots where they've had players play. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest positive is what you said. Like they, at least for the Colts, they sold low. They actually got something from Washington here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they sold low on Wentz, but at least they recognized that, which was probably a harder call than it is for Washington because Wentz, outside of how that season turned out at the end last year, he wasn't as bad last season. No. Um, which also, you know, backhanded again. You know, what does that say about Frank Reich, considering what he got out of Carson Wentz again yes. and what Washington was not able to? So, uh, which is so that's a positive for Frank Reich, not Reich, not so much, not mm-hmm. so much the Colts since he's mm-hmm. no longer there. I I think that has to be the positive for for that team too. But I agree with you for Washington. At least at least you're they're they're not in a situation where they're going to fool themselves about Taylor Heineke or Carson Wentz again next year. Yeah, and I think that's my only concern with the Colts is that yes, I I do believe Ron Rivera. Assuming he's there, which I think it's likely he comes back for another year, he's learned his lesson. He's not going to stick with Carson Wentz again. Has Jim Irsay learned his lesson? <laughs> like, like, can we be confident that Jim Irsay is going to make common sense maneuvers this offseason? Because to me, I feel like after what happened during this season, I feel like anything is on the table. Seth, you could be coaching the Colts next year for all I know. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be a shock to me. Will but you, you know what? I guess will you come shock. on the podcast if you are the head coach of the Colts? I promise. I'll Thank do you. a weekly spot with you. I won't even charge. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it. You know, like I, I would love to believe that Jim Irsay is going to hire a steady hand at coach, and they're going to draft a quarterback high, and, and they'll be fine. But I, I don't think we can say that with any sort of confidence after what happened this year. Yeah, I I I agree. I I agree. I can't. I'm. I think the Colts. You look at that team, and there's a there's there's just so much to be concerned about there. I I I can't help. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to think about which which uh, who's you know. If you were if you were the head coach of the the Colts, Bill, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering which ESPN analyst would you hire as your coordinators? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I'd have to hire Mina. Like, yeah, would, I would too. Like, yeah. the, I, I would just be concerned that Mina would then take my job in like two months. Like, she would become the head coach very quickly because they'd be like, oh, this here here is Bill, but smarter and more thoughtful. Uh, we should hire this person instead. Um, Good point. You got to hire but, someone. You're going to have to hire a, like another ex coach floating <laughs> around as like an interim buffer, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think I would hire maybe Chris Berman. I think I would just hire the loud, like, like you know, like the the most revered person because you can't be mad at Chris Berman. He's he's a legend, you know. Like it'd be hard to be upset at Chris Berman if he doesn't know how to coach a defense. But no way, he's gonna fire. He's gonna fire everybody up. Exactly, exactly. We got one vibes coach and one brains coach. <laughs> that is my solution if I take over as head coach of the Colts, which please God is never going to happen. Um, I'll I'll ask you about this. I know we're gonna probably get to the Broncos in a minute, but. I'm writing for this week, I think, about the uh, the possible coaching opportunities that are coming available, and I would assume the Colts will be one of them, is the Colts job. If you were offered the Colts job and the Broncos job right now, which would be more appealing to you given their respective situations? Ooh, uh, that's a really good question. Part of it, I think, would have to depend on... <clears throat> What it's like would have to depend on the assurances I think that you're getting from ownership. Like if you're taking that Broncos job, I think you're going to want to be like, 
I'm going to try and fix Russell Wilson, but I, mean, I want it to yeah. be clear that if I can't, that that is not going to be a reflection on me and I'm going to get a chance with the next guy. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't get that kind of assurance, then I think the Colts is better because at least there's like a blank slate there. Denver obviously has a lot more going for it mm-hmm. on the roster. For sure. Um, so I think I would, I think I would lean Denver um, yeah. just because of that. And uh, there's and, some confirmation bias there, right? You know, like with, um, you know, like, like, like you're not, no, they're not going to offer that job to anybody who says, ah, Russell Wilson stinks. You guys are doomed. Like, they're true. just not going to work out. So I think whoever they hire is going to have to be very optimistic about their ability to turn around Russell Wilson. That's true. Ooh, that does, that does, that does push me the other way. I'm still going to go Denver. I just think it's going to be easier for you to like surprisingly have success there than it will mm-hmm. be in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Even though I do sometimes like a, a blank slate situation, it's just not, I don't know. I'll lean Denver, but uh, neither one, neither one's great, you know, but yeah, neither of them feel especially exciting right about now, but there two people will be coaching those teams come next September. Um, do you want to go with the Broncos, actually, since we, we were just talking about them? Is there a sure. positive for them to take away? I think um, I'll, I'll say two, because I, I think the obvious one is is Sertan and that defense. And K1 Williams is really good in, in the slot yep. there, too. So the corners have been good. I think an under-the-radar one was Jerry Judy this year. Um, mm-hmm. He's OK. His receiver tracking metrics this year. He had a 79 open score and a 40 catch score. Mm-hmm. And that catch score does not sound good, right? But that's a career high for him. I mean, like the the what Jerry Judy does, he gets open, doesn't convert the catch. That has been true and a problem over his career. To have a 40 catch score with Russell Wilson, which means I think it's a little bit deflated in that catch score, the way it works, it's partially considering who's throwing to you. Russell Wilson over his career has been a very accurate quarterback and so even though Russell Wilson's played really poorly this year it it still is looking at Russell Will Russell Wilson as a Mm -hmm. whole and so what I mean is that if you can get Jerry Judy to just be average if we if he could just get up to average in terms of his ability to convert the catch I think he turns into not an exceptional receiver Mm -hmm. but but really good. I mean, 79 open score. Stefan Diggs is an 82. Okay. So you're like, you know, Diggs catches everything too. So there's, there's a, there's a, there's a difference, but like, I do think that, that, that has been a positive and has especially been true over the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. I was definitely ready to pan a team that overpaid for Judy at the trade deadline. And he's mm-hmm. been, he's been better since then. So, I mean, like, and between some of these guys, like Sertan and Williams, like you said, there is a there is a foundation. Uh, Williams is older, but like Sertan and Judy and Cortland Sutton, mm-hmm. um, there is a foundation of a of a roster that could be successful here. But it's going to need a good good quarterback. Yeah, I mean, this was the same problem we were looking at last year, where it's oh, their roster looks kind of kind of interesting. They just need a quarterback, and then they got a quarterback, and they still need a quarterback, which I think is the concerning part with the Denver Broncos, but. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's definitely reasons to be excited here in Denver. Um, let me take an NFC team here. I'll, I'll I'll go with the team that was reportedly interested in trading for Russell Wilson and pretty much every other quarterback before settling for Baker Mayfield. That's the Carolina Panthers, where I know they lost last week. They were winning. They were 
honestly outplaying the Bucks for a good chunk of that game. Um, disappointing they missed the postseason. But I do think there's reasons to be optimistic about their running game. And I think their running game in particular, after trading away Christian McCaffrey, who's supposed to be, and who is really good, one of the best running backs in football, one of the highest paid running backs in football. But not only did they get a two, a three, and a four from the 49ers for Christian McCaffrey, but their running game improved after McCaffrey left with Deonta Foreman and Chuba Hubbard, who are not exactly superstar backs. I mean, Hubbard was a mid-round pick. Foreman signed for, I think, pretty close to the minimum as a backup. So I think it was kind of a realization of we can also, you know, not have to rely on a $16 million a year running back to have a running game. And for a team that's traded away draft capital to go after quarterbacks in years past, now they add draft capital for CMC. They have extra picks to build out their roster, which, you know, has shown some promise over the past couple months. Yeah, I think this is another one where the roster has a lot to kind of like. It's like a good foundation and... Uh, and I think there's even upside, like I think, mm-hmm. uh, Iki Aquano hasn't been very good, but the first round rookies are often, often not. So sure. like, what if he turns into a, what if he turns into a good player and Sam Darnold's probably playing the best football of his career and mm-hmm. Brian Burns is a really good pass rusher. They still yep. should have taken the two first for him, but, <laughs> but, but they didn't. Can you uh, imagine if the Rams had either traded, made that deal or the Christian McCaffrey trade and then everything else that happens to them happens. Like they would feel even more deeper in the muck than they are at the moment. And imagine how good you would feel sitting on the Rams 2024 and 2025 first round picks. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, in, in the NBA teams are always like, they always want picks farther in the future. Cause they, you know, who knows it could be the first overall mm-hmm. pick and NFL teams don't seem to think about it quite that way yet. But man, the upside for those Rams picks would have been really tremendous. Yeah, of course. But okay, but back to but Carolina, like there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot to like there. I mm-hmm. really I think there is. Yeah. Um, I agree. Um I, I think there's plenty to be optimistic about. And again, we'll see what happens. They might you know retain Steve Wilkes as the head coach. They have quarterback questions. They still have the two most important, to me at least, the two most important spots in an organization to fill with head coach and quarterback, but a lot to like around that core. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, let me get to the Rams, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. I know we did two for you. Let me get to the Rams as well. 
this is a hard one. I mean, you know, you don't go from Super Bowl champions to having every one of your key players injured, some of whom having perhaps career-threatening injuries in the case of Matthew Stafford. I know he said he's going to come back, but um, pretty scared about his future. Hasn't been great, but I will say there have been some signs that the players on the back end of their roster can be contributors, and they need to be, given their philosophy. They do get a lot of compensatory picks, um, but they do trade away a bunch of draft capital. They are a team that likes to go out and have an expensive core, so they need some of these guys to be contributors, not just this year, but also next year. And Michael Hoyt has stepped in, even though he's a 300-pound, 310-pound edge defender, which teams have taken advantage of here and there. He's been a useful player. Laura Murchison was signed from the Tennessee practice squad a couple weeks ago and had two sacks against the Broncos in that blowout of Russell Wilson. Kobe Durant had two picks in that Broncos game and has been a regular in defense over the past five weeks. And again, like that's even perfect. No, teams have targeted him, but he's also made some plays. They found meaningful reps for Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell is averaging nearly two yards per route on 139 routes this season. You know, is he going to be a number one receiver? No, that's never going to happen. But can he be a three or a three A? Yeah, maybe. And can can there be a meaningful role for him in the offense next year? I think so. So even though this is a hopeless season, a totally ruined season by injuries, at least they're maybe finding some pieces that can play cheap, meaningful roles for cheap, you know, in the 30 to 40 spots on their roster. Uh, so when the stars do come back, they have more help around them next year. That's good. Those are those are good. I tried my uh, best. Yeah, I mean, I know you're diving deep. I'll throw can I can I throw one more into your bucket? Ernest Please. Jones. Yeah. The line, he leads all linebackers in run stop win rate. Or he's first or second, I mm-hmm. should say. Uh I mean, like it's not it's not everything. It's not the only responsibility a linebacker has, but that's something. For sure. And you know what? I mean, like they have to have guys like that come through. Ernest Jones is a third round pick. He was great during the playoff run last year. He was really mm-hmm. impressive. In the Super Bowl, he really, you know, looked like this could be a breakout year for him. You know, his responsibilities are not quite what they were a year ago because of Bobby Wagner. Um, he's not yeah. doing, he's sort of in a, a slightly different role. But, you know, again, finding a guy like that who can play middle linebacker for 600000 bucks for two years or 600000 a year for two years is really valuable. It lets you take money and put it elsewhere. And, that is, I think, where the Rams are right now is just finding those pieces. Um, can you give me, Seth, another AFC team? Sure. All right, let's go for the Browns. Okay. I think Cleveland, the offense was really successful with Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. I mean, they had a they had a .07 EPA per play when Brissett was on the field this season. That is equivalent to the Dolphins and Cowboys season-long numbers. That puts them in the kind of 7 to 9 range. And, like, there's a lot of reasons for that. Amari Cooper was a good acquisition. He played well. Donovan Peoples-Jones emerged as an elite contested catch receiver. Nick Chubb is an exceptional runner. I think we all know that. Mm -hmm. And as has been the case for years, they have a great pass protection unit. Uh, Oh, and, like, also, I don't want to – Jacoby Brissett played well, too. Um, This is a bit of a backhanded one, I will also say, because – Given the context of that, that is a huge red flag, mm-hmm. even morality or lack thereof aside, of mm-hmm. the Deshaun Watson. For sure. Uh, Deshaun Watson play. I mean, where with Watson on the field, they are 30th in EPA per play. <laughs> and I know there's been some weather uh, and whatever, but like, think about all the things we just talked about as being 
reasons why they were able to have success in the first half of the year, mm-hmm. offensively on a play-to-play basis, not not record-wise. And and then Watson comes in, and then they haven't been able to do anything. You know, they played like one of the worst offenses in the league. Mm-hmm. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Maybe it's rust. Maybe it is. But but I, but that's that's that ought to be a huge red flag. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's been worse than Russell Wilson has been this year. And as bad as the Russell Wilson contract is, it is not as bad as the Deshaun Watson deal. That's the Russell Wilson contract plus another $100 million fully guaranteed for Deshaun Watson. So if it's rust, okay, better see it next year because if it's the first half of next year and Deshaun Watson is playing this way, that's going to be the worst contract in football and not by an insignificant margin. And Jacoby Brissett, to your point, I think has earned at least the chance to be like a priority backup where he's going to have either a bridge opportunity next year where he's going to be the starter for a team that drafts a rookie in the first round or a a backup role where he is making seven, eight million dollars a year where he's one of the higher end backups in football because again, like were the Browns great with him in the lineup? No, but their defense was abysmal. And Kobe Brissett was a very effective passer. He's not perfect, but he protects the football, does not make a ton of mistakes. He usually, when he does throw interceptions, it's usually in moments where they have to have a big play and there's no choice, like they're late in the fourth quarter. And he's incredible on sneaks. He picks up a couple first downs a game, it feels like, with his ability to convert sneaks. So I think there's a valuable player there for a team that's not going to ask him to be you know, a, a quarterback that he's not. And good teams will find a spot for him. They'll, he'll definitely have a role next year somewhere. Totally, totally agree. Has to be one of those guys that you go after if you're if you're planning on drafting someone and, and you want someone who can start half the year for you, you got to think he's one of the best options. Mm-hmm. Speaking of offenses that were surprisingly effective, they took a lot of flack this year, all season, for their their tendencies especially if you were someone who invested heavily in fantasy football in Drake London or Kyle Pitts. Not that I would know anybody like that, (laughs) but the Falcons and Arthur Smith, they were ninth in the NFL in EPA per play before Marcus Mariota was benched during their bye week. And that is with Kyle Pitts being injured for a chunk of the year. It's with a running game that did not have Cordero Patterson for a chunk of the year. It's with, Drake London kind of, you know, still figuring things out as a rookie. Uh, although I do want to hear how London looks in terms of our receiving metrics. Um, this was an offense that was good, actually, legitimately good, when nobody thought it was going to be an effective offense. At least I don't know anybody who thought it was going to be an effective offense. So I think there's lots of reasons to think next year with their cap situation finally cleared out after eating their vegetables for the last year or two with a top 10 pick or with i don't know exactly where they pick but they pick pretty high in the first round um i think there's a lot to be optimistic about for the falcons where they showed even though they weren't a good team this year they were competitive and they were a lot better on offense than anybody gave them credit for do you feel like this is a this positive here is like the arthur arthur smith positive kind of like yeah. like you know i mean he ha- has been combative shall we say <laughs> but like they're they're playing hard for him you know I, I don't think you can say that for a season where they had very little hope going in that this team has not been competitive like they have been in pretty much every single 
game this year. They lost to the Bengals by 18, and that is their only loss or win by double digits. Granted, you want to blow teams out. No, they, they beat the Niners by 14 points, actually. So uh, that was the exception. But they're they're playing competitive football, and I think this was a team that I know I expected to be one of the worst teams in football. I don't think I was alone in that conversation, and I was wrong. And I think the Falcons deserve a lot of credit for, and Arthur Smith deserves a lot of credit for getting the most out of the roster he had. Also, I like Tyler Algier. Yeah. Who I'll just say this. Kenneth Walker is the odds on favor for offensive rookie of the year right now. Tyler Algier is a hundred to one with almost the exact same numbers. I mean, I truly like the same basic numbers and, and better advanced numbers mm-hmm. for what it for what it's worth. I, something I noticed this week. Uh he's within 36 yards of of Kenneth Walker. Does seem pretty significant if you yeah. were interested in that kind of stuff. For whatever it's worth. For whatever it's worth. Uh, do you want to give me another one from the AFC set? Sure. Um, let's go with the Texans, actually. Okay. Um, Houston, I, I think I thought going in that Houston would be the harder one to figure out, but it, it wasn't. The Colts were were much more difficult. So we put our pass rush win rates, the leaderboard, up on ESPN. We're hoping to... Maybe, maybe, maybe blow that out and get everybody up there at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows the top 10 players in each at each position. So this is not out there, but number 11 and number 12 at pass rush win rate at edge are Obaniah, Okoronkwo, and Jerry Hughes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty good. That is, that's pretty good. And so yeah. I think Hughes, by the way, is one of the most insane stats I've ever seen. He has nine sacks and 10 QB hits which is almost impossible to do. And I watched the 10th QB hit and it, it barely qualifies. <laughs> the but old Vic I, Beasley. Yeah. <laughs> Vic Beasley had 15 and a half sacks and 16 quarterback hits. The no, one. Yep. really? One, uh, he was first team all pro. Yep. That's incredible. That wow. Great. That was like, that was probably one of the easiest, like controversial things I've ever done. We've been like, yeah, Vic Beasley is actually not that good. And it was like, you know, like he had eight sacks that were just like, you know, drive-by strip sacks. And I was like, well, that's going to be hard to do again, I think. And he has 18 sacks over the ensuing four seasons before falling out of football. That's a W, Bill. You can small, you can mark. small victory for me. I knew one thing six years ago. I'm going to take my victory <laughs> lap here now on my own podcast. Um, um, but I, you're right, though. You're right, though. Like, Absolutely. That, that's pretty good. Now he's uh, he's a free agent, I think. But like that's and he it doesn't play like a crazy amount. Um, but I think it's a good example of finding someone who was uh, you know a backup elsewhere, give them more playing time, able to able to see some success. And I don't know if they'll be able to if they'll hang on to him or not. But like that's that's what you're hoping to see is 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 things like that. And Hughes Hughes is obviously a, a, a veteran, um, been around forever. So. Um, so who's what, who knows what this means for Houston's future, but those are positives. Like that's, that's pretty good between those two players there, which I don't think you would ever have expected going into the season. Yeah. I mean, I, I was honestly surprised the Texans did not trade Jerry Hughes at the trade deadline. I Same. don't know if he wanted to stay. He's from Houston originally grew up in Houston. I don't know if he signed there and said, Hey, like, you know, don't trade me. Um, but if he was available, I was shocked that no one traded for him because he's been legitimately really good. He's kind of, he he's tuckered out a bit over the final few weeks of the year. Um, but I mean, he's 
he was a legit like he he was creating pass pressure and i know it hasn't always resulted in hits but um the the win rate metrics we have point to uh the effect he was having for that texans defense um let me go with the other team at the very bottom of the standings the chicago bears who could at least theoretically win the first overall pick this weekend if i'm not mistaken if the texans do pull off an upset and I'll go with the Bears and I'll go with their secondary because I think there's reasons to be excited about their young players in their secondary. You talked about the Offensive Rookie of the Year candidacy. I think Jaquan Brisker is not going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year, but I think he's probably like a low-end candidate, maybe in like the five to seven range. I think he's been a player who has been, you know, he's flashed. And I think that's, we're sort of spoiled right now. Like, you know, when you get someone like a Pat Sertain, or a sauce gardener in year one and you just think oh my god like they're immediately a superstar that's rare for young defensive backs that is the exception as opposed to the rule and so i think brisker flashing has been impressive i think um kyler gordon again has also been you know a guy who's flashed i think jalen johnson has been injured but he's been good in years past mm-hmm. and i think eddie jackson uh got better before he got hurt so i i think we'll see what happens with the personnel we'll see what happens with the scheme I think they need a better pass rush um, because the pass rush there has been pretty messy. Um, but I have confidence about Iberflus kind of coaching these guys up and getting them to be a better secondary. And I think there's reasons to be optimistic given how they've played at certain stretches this year. I think that's all fair. And yeah, you mentioned Jalen Johnson. The beginning of this season, I think he had he was he had like absurd numbers through two games mm-hmm. <clears throat> like absurdly good i mean I, he'd been targeted like i'm gonna i'm gonna mess this up but he'd been targeted like one time through two games yep. which was which was incredible i sort of think they have another player who also is in that like lower it doesn't play a position wouldn't actually get considered but in that rookie of the year conversation on the other side of the ball and that's braxton jones mm-hmm like he's been pretty good. I know it's not just our win rates, like win rates and PFF agree that Braxton Jones has been a, has been a good, a good tackle for, for mm-hmm. the bears. I I know it's a bears offensive line. People feel like they're worse <laughs> than our numbers give them credit for, but, but uh, so who knows, maybe, maybe we're crazy, but, uh, but his numbers are good. That's also a really tough quarterback to block for. And, and Justin Fields, like whatever benefits Justin Fields brings to the table. And I think they're significant, like, that is a really hard player to block for when you have someone who's bailing out of the pocket. Um, it's going to make it difficult to judge offensive line play. So, you know, I, I think our numbers are hopefully, you know, at least a sign that there's some positives to work with there. And I think, again, this was a year where they were not, they were doing the same thing the Falcons were. They were eating their cat vegetables, getting aligned. They were trading. They were mostly acquiring draft picks outside of the Chase Claypool trade, which we won't talk about here as positives, but we will say that they're in better shape to compete next year. And if they can find three, four, five, six players this year on their roster who they can feel like can be good NFL starters as the rest of their roster gets better, that's great. That's exactly what you want from them here in 2022. Um, Do you have one, two more left? I have one more left. Okay, what's your final one? I meant I meant down ballot for Braxton Jones too, just to be yeah, clear. I'm not saying sure. like, you know, like you meant with Brisker. Um, the Raiders are my team left, right? Oh, yeah, that's all, that's all I've got left. The Raiders... Okay. I think this is also sort of a tricky one. Um, the two things I think that the two positives you would, I think you could take away from the Raiders would be 
you know, the problem was defense, which is, which is not offense in that, <laughs> um, in that, and I mean, that is a good way because it's the easier thing to fix from a, from a year to year standpoint. Mm-hmm. So their offense was okay, but they're also going to probably be resetting at quarterback. Um, I think like the real positive was probably their offensive line, which has been solid and particularly Colton Miller, who's already established and, and paid. Uh, but I think this was his best season yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's become, a really good left tackle. And this year, I think it was not just his best pass protecting season, but his best run blocking season. Mm-hmm. And which is not always, he has not always been as good of a run blocker or he hasn't been as good as a run blocker. Uh, so I, I think at least if you're, if you're going into the situation where you're going to be restarting a quarterback, if you have, if you're established at left tackle, you're set there. Like that is, that is a positive. You can, you can take away if you're going to be, if you're going to be going through this process, but obviously not not a a very weird season for, for Vegas. Yes, certainly. Uh, A season where it's felt like they've either been in an incredibly dramatic comeback victory or an incredibly heartbreaking loss every single week. Um, I I think they'll be better next year if they have a a solid quarterback. Um, I think they were a little unlucky on the whole this year, Mm -hmm. but who knows what they're going to do at quarterback. I, I, anything from Tom Brady to Josh McDaniels, what was the quote? Uh, I can get any high schooler and make him a pro bowler. That's what Tyler Columbus said. Josh McDaniels said when he was with the Broncos. So maybe it'll be a high school quarterback. Maybe it'll be Tom <laughs> Brady. Who knows? Yeah. We, I, you know, we've tried the, you know, taking ESPN to coaching route. I'm waiting for the you know the ESPN to quarterback route. Maybe maybe Vegas goes that way. You know. Well, you know, Dan, Dan Orlovsky is on. Dan Orlovsky, we've got we've got some experts. We, we got a guy. Um, <laughs> we will see. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I have two more. So we, there was one more in the NFC than there was in the AFC. So I'll finish up with these two. Saints, I think, is pretty obvious. It's Chris Olave, who has been really impressive as a rookie. Um... 79 open 79 catch ratings by our metrics only 41 for yards after catch but you know with with very inconsistent quarterback play um he's averaged 2.48 yards per route run and we have route run data going back through 2007 the only rookies who averaged more yards per route run over that time frame over the last 15 seasons or 16 seasons i forget how the math works but it's aj brown Justin Jefferson, Odell Beckham, and Jamar Chase. I mean, it is for bona fide superstars. And then Chris Olave, who again has played with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston all season. I think people, you know, ha- are, are sort of sleeping on on how good he has been this year as an immediate number one receiver for the Saints. So we can take issue with the trades they made. Um, certainly. Don't know if it was the best thing for their future to make the trades they've made, but they did land a superstar with Chris Olave. Is he your offensive rookie of the year? 
he is my offensive rookie of the year, but I don't know that he will be the NFL's offensive rookie of the year. I agree with that. Me too. Yeah. I think it's close for him and Wilson to yeah. for for me, but I don't know. I don't know. I it's a close race. Yeah. And, and I think either pick is fine. Like I don't think Yeah. It's it wouldn't be wrong to pick Garrett Wilson. I mean, you could pick Kenneth Walker. Like, I'm not super enthused about Kenneth Walker as a pick. I think, I think that's wrong. I can say it. Act- like actively wrong. wrong. Wow. Actively wrong. It's like uh, he's the second Seahawks second best running back. And he, I, I think it's probably five times harder to be a thousand yard receiver than it is to be a thousand yard runner. I mm-hmm. would, I would say. Wow. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that is that that crazy. Like I, I feel like if you put in almost any running back and you give them enough carries, that they're gonna be they're gonna do that. Whereas you can you can roll out a bad receiver on a ton of routes and they're gonna get they're not gonna get to a thousand yards. Like you have to you have to be good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking me plugged into either role, and I'm thinking it would take about. I said any 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 running back, any, not, not 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 any, any podcast, any random podcaster. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it, it definitely is easier, um, you know, if, if you're getting the workload. And certainly it feels like receiving production is more a product of talent than running back, which is more of a product of opportunity. So I, I agree with the sentiment there for sure. Um, I mean, I think Walker is one of those guys where I think his flashes are really impressive. And so I think people are you know, really getting impressed by the flashiness um, when he has really struggled for more consistency. I think I'd have to look at the numbers, but I don't think he has a very good success rate this mm. season. Um, and again, like, I think... The flashes have been good, too. Like, I'm not yeah, saying he hasn't something been... wrong. He hasn't been good. Like, he, he hasn't been... A, like, yeah, I'm not saying he hasn't been good. So yeah, he's uh, 39th out of 40 qualifying backs for Football Outsiders in success rate this season. Ooh. Which, I mean, you know, like if you hit enough home runs the success rate isn't as important he's hit some home runs but i don't know that he's hit enough to be a guy who i would peg as my offensive rookie of the year so maybe i agree with you maybe i think it would be wrong but i think he's three behind the two receivers for me cool and then the cardinals were aligned yeah the cardinals we're going to finish up with they're a mess i mean pretty much everything's going wrong there i went with zach allen uh, who I think has had a nice fourth year breakout. He has five and a half sacks. He has eight pass breakups. Really impressive to knock down eight passes as a defensive lineman. 19 quarterback hits, moves all around the defensive line. You know, he's probably best in the interior, maybe as a 4 3 tackle or a five technique defensive end and a 3 4. Um, of course, teams play in their sub package anyway, so really doesn't matter at the end of the day. But I think he is a player where he's going to be a free agent this year. Don't know if the Cardinals are going to have the cap space to resign him. Kind of could be like a DJ reader where he gets a bigger deal than anybody expects. And he's a really valuable part of a great defense uh, over the next three or four seasons. I love that one. I'm with you on Zach Allen. I think that's total, totally agree. No, he's been good. He's, he's eighth in pass rush win rate among defensive tackles and it and i think he's pretty good in the in run stop as well he's been one of those guys that like when i tweet out the charts you know he kind of he kind of pops he he puts himself in a category of like a, surrounded by players that we think of as being really good like a quinn and williams and um 
Jonathan Allen, Hargrave, Grady Jarrett. And so when you when you put your surround yourself with those guys, like it, you know, it shows. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Seth, we found something good to say about the worst teams in football. Until next time. Where can people check out your work? Uh just on Twitter at, at Seth Walder. Um, that's the that's the easiest spot. And then of course ESPN.com. I will ask you one more question, Seth. Are it. you prepared to bet against Nick Bosa having any more sacks during the postseason? Uh in a in a in a in a weird way, Bill, I have my biggest bet against Nick Bosa coming up because I did sprinkle a couple dollars on Hassan Reddick to lead the league in sacks going into this season. Nice. At 100 to 1 and he is one and a half sacks back from Nick Bosa. So if uh if Nick Bosa wants to really do me a solid, <laughs> take this week off and uh he's he's cost me enough, you know? So <laughs> Uh, for those that don't know, I've, I've had this sack model each and I've been betting it. And each week it tells me to bet against Nick Bosa and every week I'm wrong. And every week I go back for more and every week Nick Bosa gets more and more sacks. It's a, it's a, he's good. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) It's settled. This podcast told you what's right about the Texans, what's right about the bears and what's good about Nick Bosa. Seth, thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to my guest, ESPN's Seth Walder. Seth does excellent work covering the NFL for us here at the Worldwide Leader. Strongly recommend you follow him on Twitter at Seth Walder as well. Hope you guys had a great holiday. Uh, We took last week off, but we'll be back, of course, every week during the upcoming postseason. Let's talk about all things NFL. Hope you guys are having a great new year and more audio next week.